The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Hello, my friends. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. This is episode 186 of the Sample Chapter Podcast. Hey, welcome back, everyone. I'm glad that you are here. And today we have a really wonderful show for you. We are talking with debut author Jeff Pollock. And it's a great conversation and a great book that he's got, uh, one that he has put out that I cannot wait to to get over to the interview about. Jeff is a fantastic guy and uh, has a lot of really interesting aspects about his author career and about this book that uh, you're going to really find interesting. Uh, we're we're going to talk about how the story chose him to write it, uh, you know, his feelings about that, getting that first chapter written correctly. You know, you got to grab a reader's attention right away. Uh, what it's like when characters take the lead, uh, writing for oneself and uh, a love and appreciation for the work that goes into preparing a top-tier book. And then we're going to be discussing, of course, the book itself, which is called First, Second Coming. Fantastic book from Acorn Publishing. Came out in July and uh, already has tons of great reviews and uh, uh, won some awards. Even the, you know what, and even, I, I forgot to ask him about this, but the book was even featured in a press release on the CBS News back in March. How cool is that, huh? Another exciting thing that uh, this is this is one of those rare moments that uh, actually I think this is my first time ever getting to do something secret with the author that nobody knows about unless you're a subscriber to Jeff's newsletter. So for those of you listening who are subscribers to Jeff's newsletter, the secret code word is book birthday. So if you are a subscriber to Jeff's newsletter, you know what that means. Go ahead and uh, use that secret word. For anyone else listening, uh, you can receive a celebratory gift if you subscribe to Jeff's monthly newsletter by August 1st. So you have to do this before August 1st, everyone. You got it? That's coming up this, this Sunday. So by August 1st, go to Jeff's website at jeffpollock.com, and that is J-E-F-F-P-O-L-L-A-K.com. And we're going to have the link in the show notes as well, so you can just click it and make that'll make it really easy for you. So go to his website, sign up, and mention that code word, book birthday, and Jeff will take over from there, and uh, you'll get yourself a celebratory gift. But again, everyone, you got to do this by August 1st. That's coming up in less than a week. So get on over there and check it out. <laughs> this is exciting. I can't wait to hear how, uh, how this turned out for Jeff. All right. Well, hey, meanwhile... We should do a little bit of business. We've got to thank our sponsor, starting with Scribner, my favorite writing tool. I've uh, been having a lot of fun writing lately. Lots of fun, getting lots of words down, lots of editing done on the Bandit Chronicles, book one. A um, little over halfway now, getting the, what I hope, well, it's not going to be the final edit, but it's certainly my last revision is what i'm hoping for uh before i send it over to some beta readers to uh, check it out and of course i gotta run it through my editing software and other stuff too i want to make sure that's good as i can make it 
but that's exciting for me. I'm, I'm trying to get this done because I got some stuff coming up. I want to at least be able to announce it and possibly have a uh, pre-order up, but I don't know. I'm also way behind on getting a book cover for it, so <laughs> we'll see how that goes. But the book is coming along very nicely, and uh, mostly that's what I've been working on recently. Uh, well, yeah, I think for one morning last week, I stepped away to work on another project for a day. Just because, you know, you get you get all these thoughts in your head about this other project. So you want to write down, you know, write down while it's fresh in your mind. So I did that for a day and then came back to the bandit uh, the next day. But anyway, all that, all that side stuff to say <laughs> that I do all that writing in Scrivener. So it doesn't matter which project I'm working on. doesn't matter what chapter I'm on. I can move around, jump in and out of different chapters. Easy to find. It's got the cork board which allows you to sort things out. Even if I want to move chapters, I can do that very easily through Scrivener. Hey, check out this advertisement to find out how you can save 20% on the regular desktop version. Jason here. Hey, I wanted to take a moment and tell you about my favorite writing tool, Scrivener. Now I know you've heard about Scrivener because their writing software has been embraced by hundreds of thousands of other writers like you and I, from the novice to best-selling novelists. The reason we all use it is because of Scrivener's core concept to bring all the writing tools you use together in a single application. And with tools like automatic backup, character maps, project goals, and let's not forget that amazing corkboard, you can see why I use Scrivener every day. As a bonus for Sample Chapter Podcast listeners, use code CHAPTER for 20% off your desktop version. Scrivener Writing Software, built by writers for writers. All right, so that's a great offer from Scrivener. Speaking of offers and deals, if you are a fan of Audible, if you like audiobooks, here's another great offer from Audible. Hello friends, Jason here, and I wanted to take a moment to tell you about a great offer from Audible. Like you, I'm very busy. I have a full-time job, a family, I'm a thriller author, and I do this weekly podcast. But I also love to read. That's where Audible is a lifesaver for me. Whether I'm mowing the yard, working out, driving back and forth to work, or doing some other menial task, I can still listen to an incredible book through Audible. And now you can get a free 30-day trial by going to audibletrial.com slash sample chapter. By doing that, you'll not only have that 30-day trial, you'll also gain access to guided wellness programs, theatrical performances, A-list comedy, exclusive Audible originals, and even podcasts like the Sample Chapter Podcast. Last year is the first time I ever achieved my own personal reading goals and it was because of some wonderful titles I listened to on Audible. Some of those titles were Ready Player Two by Ernest Cline, narrated by Will Wheaton, the Awaken Online series from Travis Bagwell, narrated by David Stifel, Patient Zero by Jonathan Mayberry, narrated by the incredible Ray Porter, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention previous guest Scott Meyer with his Magic 2.0 series, narrated by Luke Daniels. It's a lot of fun and definitely worth your time. Hey, full disclosure, 
by signing up at audibletrial.com slash sample chapter. The show does get a little monetization, which goes directly towards any production needs uh, with the show. So you're also helping us out here by signing up. So what are you waiting for? Head on over now to audibletrial.com slash sample chapter and start your free 30-day trial today. All right. Thank you once again then to Audible for partnering up with us. That's a great offer and uh, a service that I use all the time. Hey, I want to invite you to come and check out our podcast network friends, starting with Pop Goes a Culture Network, home to about half a dozen different shows, all of them pop culture related, at popgoesaculture.com, or just click the link in the show notes. Another great place for podcasts is our other network, the Project Entertainment Network home to about 30 different shows of an extremely wide variety, whether you're looking for comedy, horror, writing tips, uh, book reviews, faith-based shows, uh, tons of great content there. Hey, I want to invite you to go check out Monster Attack, one uh, one of my favorite shows on the network. Check this out for more information. This is Jim Adams from Monster Attack. Hey, if you remember that monster movie from your childhood that got it all started for you, the one that really got you interested in monster movies, horror movies, sci-fis, and cult films, then you're going to want to listen every week to Monster Attack. We look at some of our favorite monster movies from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. With new episodes uploaded every Monday, it's Monster Attack exclusively on the Project Entertainment Network. All right. So, yeah, that's a, that's a great show and one I enjoy listening to. It's a lot of fun to go back through the uh, the backlist on that show and check out some of those incredible movies that he's talked about over the years and go like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that movie. All right. So our sponsor, our partners, and our podcast friends, all of us, including our guest, are all available on social media. Uh, go in there and find us very easily on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. With the Sample Chapter Podcast, it's very easy to find us just by searching for Sample Chapter Podcast. (laughs) Or if you go to SampleChapterPodcast.com, you can click the link there and and go right to our social media and follow us there. Um, On the website, you can also go back and check out all of our past episodes. They're all there for your listening enjoyment. And uh, never a bad episode. If you are not a social media person, but you'd like to reach out to the show, you can do so by emailing me at samplechapterpodcast at gmail.com or leave me a voicemail by calling 1-660-851-1146. All right. Well, I think I have talked enough. It's time to get us over to our interview with supernatural and romantic suspense author, Jeff Pollock. Hello, Sample Chapter listeners. Welcome to a new episode. This week, we are excited to bring on uh, supernatural and romantic suspense author, Jeff Pollock. Born and raised in New York, Jeff attended college in Buffalo, graduating with a degree in psychology. After a move to L.A. and attending night school, Jeff passed the California admissions bar to become a civil trial lawyer and later a partner in his own firm. 35 years later, he retired and now writes... Uh, the aforementioned supernatural and romantic suspense fiction. 
Uh, the book we're going to hear from today was first debuted in August of 2020. It's the first second coming and received the gold award for writing excellence from literary Titan magazine and was nominated for the 2021 Rona award in fantasy. Ladies and gentlemen, help me welcome to the show, Jeff Pollock. Jeff. Hello. Hello there, Jason. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me on. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. I'm so excited to have you here. And uh, oh my gosh, you got quite the uh, the history here. Uh, but first, let's start with, I understand you just got back from a little vacation. You're actually my second author in a row who uh, just returned from vacation like I did. So how did that go for you? Uh, it was very wet. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> I had to drive through the uh, tropical storm Elsa a couple of times, but uh, you know, being from Southern California, we don't get anything like that anymore. So it was sort of fun. Okay. And uh, you got a chance to rest and relax. And I think one of your emails, you talked about the uh, the home run derby. Did you get to check that out? Yeah, we did. And uh, being an Angels fan, we were a little disappointed that Shohei didn't really show his stuff. But uh, <laughs> we like him a lot. And uh, that was the main reason for watching. So as soon as he was gone, I was done with it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, now let's uh, let's dive in a little bit here. So, like I said, you have a, a degree in psychology, and uh, you were a prior lawyer. You did this for thirty-five years. Did does any of that? Uh, how did any of that lead into fiction writing for you? Uh, well, only in the sense of discipline, uh, because litigation involves a lot of writing. Mm -hmm. uh, so. You might see on TV that, you know, from minute number one of the show, a new a new case has come along and by the time the half hour or, or hour show is over, it's been resolved. That doesn't happen <laughs> you know, in the real world. Uh, so we have to do a lot of writing and that means we have to do a lot of self-editing and that means we have to be disciplined in terms of what we're trying to do and what we're trying to tell the judge in things that we're submitting to the court or to the clients if we're writing to our clients. Uh, so in that sense, it helps any kind of writing. And I just happen to pick fiction here. Uh, but other than that, I mean, this none of this book, none of the series that this book is first book in has anything to do with anything that's legal. Yeah. Yeah. And I find that fascinating. And, and, almost refreshing. Uh, some of the lawyers I've spoken to before who are now authors, they tend to bring some of their background into it. They like to write gritty trial, uh, you know, lawyer type books, uh, somebody who's that uh, run and gun going to help solve the mystery um, and then win the case. Uh, but you went a completely different direction with the uh, uh, the supernatural and then the fiction here. Uh, what What brought that choice? Uh, well, first of all, I, I lived that life for 35 years, and having retired, I think uh, I had no particular reason to continue having it in my <laughs> head. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, really what, what brought this particular story about was 9-11, uh, because uh, I was in that building over and over and over again. We had clients in the building. We did seminars every year in the building and uh you know being here watching what was going on there that morning uh all i could think of 
beyond, you know, isn't this terrible is you know, how many of the people that I know are in that building now. And uh, as those thoughts were coming through, so did the thought of, we need a new God here. We need a planetary turnaround specialist. Hmm. And where exactly that came from, I couldn't possibly tell you, but it stayed with me and it sort of burrowed into my subconscious. And when I started writing the book, something like 14 years later, um, that was the first thing that came out on my, you know, blank screen as mm -hmm. I was trying to think of something I could use to write a story about. Uh, so at that point I had, unknown to me, I had both of my main characters, they were their names, their backstory, um, a basic uh, plot outline and three possible endings. And they all just flowed out um, in an hour and a half of uh, typing. Um, and that started the, the ball rolling. Wow. And the, the book we're discussing here, everyone, is uh, is just a debut novel here, First, Second Coming. The blurb on this is, when Earth's variously named God retires in 2027 after 2,000 plus years of service, he is replaced by a new supreme being a planetary turnaround specialist who must decide whether to include mankind in his plan to restore the world's luster. This deity introduces himself to earthlings through an unscheduled appearance on the Ram Forrester Hour talk show, which he beams worldwide. This is fascinating, and I can, I can understand how the events of 9-11 could inspire... Um, you know, such a thought that kind of sticks in your, your mind and then it grows into this astounding uh, a tale of fiction here. How did, uh, so whenever you sat down that first time, you said that hour and a half of it just kind of started pouring out. What was that like for you to just kind of let it start coming out? Well, um, it was it was quite an experience, but uh, I was I was trying to not kind of um, interfere with myself, if you, if you will. Yeah. Uh, and just, you know, I didn't know what was coming out. I didn't know what, what I was typing about, but I just sort of kept typing. And, um, you know, that the, the basics, if you will, the, the, the skeleton or the bones just were there on screen. And uh, when I was done typing it, I reread it. And I thought, <laughs> this is really kind of interesting. I, I have never been through something like this before. Uh, so, you know, it took it took a few years to take it from that point to finished, uh, especially since I was working for, for most of that. So I was just doing it part time. Uh, but it was a good it was a good starting point. And um, it was it, it really pushed me to work through it to see what I could make of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's a, it's an amazing premise that, you know, the, uh, the God that we know is retiring or being forced into retirement perhaps and being replaced by a new deity. And that's, that's fascinating. It kind of reminds me of, um, well, not so much reminds me of it. I, I had this flashback of uh, the old movie Stargate where you discover right. that so much of 
what we believe is actually based on an alien. And uh, so and I thought it was fantastic and, you know, so, so it's great fantasy and fun. And uh, this has a little bit of that for me and a uh, great idea. Thank you. Um, I, I wish I could claim it uh, for myself, but it was coming from somewhere. And, you know, I, I don't know the, where, where it was coming from, but uh, it certainly hit me. And I sort of feel like the, the story chose me to write it. Uh, which you know, doesn't make a lot of sense, but that's still the way I feel about it. <laughs> One of the things I, that caught me, uh, you were kind enough to send me a couple chapters. I was, I was perusing through it a little bit. Uh, tell us about the MWGI. Um, Milky Way Galaxy Incorporated uh, is the uh, organization that owns Earth. And um, it owns several other planets inhabited by, you know, other creatures. Uh, and it sends out its employees to supervise the various planets, just like any um, company that owns property here would do for itself. Uh, so in this instance, it uh, retained the new god, uh, who was not an employee previously. But because there are not that many category five um, entities that are capable of turning planets around, uh, they had to go outside their organization to basically solicit this one and bring him in and move him over to um, this particular planet, uh, basically for the purpose of turning it around and restoring it to its previous luster. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you don't you don't in this particular book you don't see that much of M, uh, Milky Way Galaxy Incorporated you just get a little bit of background on it but you'll get more of that in in later chapters excuse me later uh, volumes okay yeah and I, I appreciate the back and forth the the change between the uh, <clears throat> uh, NTG the New Testament God and the new entity and uh even their appearance uh, i thought was interesting uh, the new ones wearing a denim shirt compared to the uh the trench coat of the uh, the outgoing god and uh and and even so even though uh the old god is being replaced and he's he's a little gruff you still feel that affection he has for the humans of earth and you know we're we're, we're kind of we're letting him down population and climate change and all this but you can still feel his affection even in that gruff exterior which i found really interesting well thank you very much it was it was uh it was fun to write uh, that that particular chapter came out of a uh a writing exercise that i did at the suggestion of uh, a lawyer friend of mine who uh uh suggested that I should just try to write like whatever um, author I happened to be reading at that moment. And I happened to be reading Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> so, so I tried to write that's like Douglas Adams. And uh, it took uh, 15, roughly 15, maybe 16 uh, versions of that first chapter before I finally figured out that if I took that writing exercise and did some revisions to it, it would serve perfectly 
as the first chapter of this book. Yeah. And it, and it seems to, I mean, it, it, uh, from the reviews and from what people tell me, um, they really lock into the, uh, they lock into the story from that first page. Yeah, I, and I would have to agree. I think it definitely sets the scene. You understand what's taking place and it's, and now, you know, okay, you're in for a ride. Here's, here's what's coming. And uh, it's a great way to set the scene for, for uh, not only this book, but for the, uh, for the ones coming up in the series. Thank you again for, for saying that. And, you know, I, I agree. It's, it's, um, it's a, it was a fun chapter, right? Um, once I had figured out that that was the one I needed to write, which only took three years. <laughs> <laughs> only three years. Yeah. You know, and, and for writers, it's, so many of them I've talked to that seems to be pretty par. It's a couple of years for uh, for one book or another, and uh, and a lot of times that first book is always uh, one that's the passion project that comes from somewhere in the ether, uh, inspired from somewhere. But it's that one that we've got to get done first and uh, takes the monkey off your back and it's like, okay, now I can breathe. I can do this. Yeah, it's that's true, and especially the first chapter because it's just so critical. Um, you know, especially with people now buying books online more than uh, or, or as much as they go in indoors to bookstores, especially with the pandemic in the last year preventing people from going to bookstores. Um, that first chapter is just so important. Um, so it has to be right or it's not worth doing all of the rest of the chapters because um, no one's going to read it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you got to grab their attention right away. Yep. <clears throat> so, well, uh, now how, when you're dealing with something so, um, <laughs> I, I want to say earth shattering, uh, <laughs> how do you find and develop characters that are going to correctly uh, approach this subject? Um, I think if you asked that question to 100 authors, you'd get a hundred different answers. Mm -hmm. um, in my case, um, I had a lot of help with, from Brenda Lee. <laughs> uh, she, you know, when you're, I've been reading books, you know, all my life, really. Uh, I've, I've always been a devoted reader. And uh, it never occurred to me that authors actually hear their characters in their head uh so the first time that happened as i was writing i was really shocked by it because you know i'm not female and i'm not latina uh <laughs> and this voice was in my head uh you know her voice was in my head mm -hmm. and uh she started waking me up at 4 30 in the morning and basically telling me it's time to get going we got another chapter to write and i have to tell you what's going on here um so uh so she was a big help because uh, I really got into her character, very close to her. Um, I think when you develop these characters, you sort of create them in your head. And um, once you've done that, you know um, as much of their character as they do, if not more, uh, their personalities, how they would react to things, um, what they would do in pressure situations and so forth. Uh, how they speak, uh, all of that, uh, the more you're into writing this thing, the more uh, 
deep you get into it, the more these characters really come alive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I, it's such a out of body experience that uh, to have that, like you said, the the moment, the first time the character speaks to you and you can hear them telling you, here's what, what I want to happen in my story. And as the author, you're like, wait, no, this is my story. Like, no, 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 <laughs> this is not your story. This is my story I'm telling. <laughs> and you yeah. have this back and forth and and uh, trying to direct them like, well, I really want the story to go this way, but let's see what the character is going to tell me first and see where it goes. <laughs> yeah, and, and since I was writing um, first person present, um, what Brenda Lee was telling me basically was what actually was happening at that moment. Um, and so uh, I was given basically a, uh, a, a direct view, if you will, of what was taking place from second to second. And I was really more of a transcriber, or at least I felt like it, than I was a writer because she was feeding me what was actually going on from minute to minute in the stories, uh, at least at least the ones in which her point of view is being uh, is being shown. Uh, so it was it was a, it was an interesting experience to to experience that, and uh, it was enjoyable. She still talks to me, and I'm working on the second novel now, and I still I still hear from her. <laughs> um, but we, we reached a deal. I mean, she was basically telling me what was going on and I was basically telling her, okay, I'm going to run with whatever you're telling me here, but I've still got the red pen and I may have <laughs> to edit it from time to time. And she was perfectly fine with that. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah. I had uh, <clears throat> one of my early experiences was a character I hadn't even planned on came into my story and uh, a couple of chapters later, it was becoming their story. And this was supposed to be a side character that was just going to have one scene. And uh, I ended up having to cut most of it because it was going to become a completely different book. But I have it saved in another uh, another place for a potential sequel down the road because uh, there was some good stuff there. But it, it was it was fun and, and it was running with it. And it, it actually helped inform other things about the story that I hadn't considered, uh, which I found extremely useful. I, I completely understand that. I, I, that I, I kind of had the same thing with, with um, Brenda Lee too. She wasn't, Ram was supposed to be the main character and you know, to an extent he still is, but Brenda Lee was basically going to be his sidekick and the whole romance thing that, we, that plays between the two of them I had no perception of that. I had no intention to write a romance story. Um, I had never read a romance story at that point when I started writing this, although I subsequently learned, you know, how to go about it. Um, but, you know, she had the hots for Ram and Ram had the hots for her and it just sort of developed that way. And uh, I really didn't foresee any of that happening, but I went with flow and out came the story. <laughs> now, you mentioned before you've been a uh, lifelong avid reader. Uh, right. How about writing? Have you have you always had that kind of itch that something you wanted to scratch going forward? No, 
no, uh, it, it, it never occurred to me through all the reading that I was doing that I could be a uh, published novelist or even an award-winning novelist, which still <laughs> blows my mind. Oh my God. Um, and uh, um, what, what, what happened was that my, um, my son was graduating from college in 2015 and he had a job set up already um, uh, with uh, Microsoft. Um, so it was clear he was not gonna need you know, financial help from mom and dad too much longer. Mm -hmm. um, and that in turn led me to the question, you know, how much longer do I want to be going through this routine of, you know, endless trials? Um, when do I exactly do I want to go ahead and retire? So we had some discussions, my wife and I, about that, but I, I had to uh, also think about, okay, when I do retire, what is it I'm going to do? Because I'm not the type of person who's just going to sit here and watch TV all the time. Um, so, uh, and, and, you know, I can't be out on the golf course every day, <laughs> <laughs> you know, taking time to, and, and just, you know, hitting the, hitting the golf ball around. Um, and so it occurred to me that um, the, the, the thing that I could try to do uh, to challenge myself a little bit uh, was to take all of this writing time that I had done for you know year after year for decades and devote it to writing something of my own. Mm -hmm. not, not something that I have to turn into a judge or to a client, but just something that I could write on my own. And I really just looked at it as though this is just a, a, a private hobby for me to do, just a little challenge, something to keep me intellectually stimulated um, and the more I wrote uh, and the more people got to see it in critique groups and friends and family and so forth everybody was pushing me to publish this and uh, I was very skeptical initially about doing it um, but I kept getting very positive comments about it and people saying you have to publish this you have to publish this you have to make a movie out of this <laughs> um, you know I mean uh, so I said all right I'll give it a little I'll give it a little time I'll give it a chance and it just so happened I found a, a publisher for it and here we are <laughs> <laughs> and here we are right. oh my gosh that's such a great story and it, I think that's one of the things you know that that author birthing story i'm not sure how else to describe that but how it, it just kind of you want to get the story out and which is pure in nature when you just do it for yourself it, it is much more pure um you're not writing for a trend you're not writing for somebody else's approval you're writing it for yourself and so the story comes out naturally and in its pure form and it helps you get it across and uh that's awesome i'm so happy that acorn uh, brought the book on and, uh, yeah, it looks like it's, it's doing really well for you. So congratulations. Well, thanks. Thanks so much. And I, I really agree with what you just said about, um, about how pure it is. Uh, if I, I suppose and this is more speculation than anything else, but I suppose that if I had the original idea of writing a story to publish the story, uh, this would have been a different book. 
I don't know if it would have been better or worse, but it would have been a different book. Right. Yeah. So you're working on the sequel right now. Uh, yeah, that's one of two novels that I'm working on right now. The, uh, the, the, the sequel to it is uh, the working title of it. I don't know if it'll be the final title, but the working title is Earth's Peril. And um, the, the whole series basically will be dealing with um, various global issues that we, we all have and we're facing. The second one will deal with um, climate change and overpopulation. Um, and there is a link between those two things. Uh, but beyond that, there will be more, you know, one or two global issues dealt with from book to book, mm -hmm. assuming I can live that long, um, because we got a lot of problems here we got to deal with. Yeah. Uh, but um, but it'll be fun. And, it, you know, none of this is preachy. Uh, this is all entertainment, but it leaves, you know, a lot of people who've reviewed this have said it's thought provoking. And uh, if I can get entertainment that's thought provoking out there, that's even better than just writing the book just for entertainment's sake. Um, but I'm not, I'm not trying to um, preach. I'm not trying to convince people that there is or isn't climate change or that um you know one religion is better than another religion or anything like that uh it, it's it, that's really not the right forum for for a fiction book yeah <clears throat> well and i i find those to be personally the the best kind of books the ones that when you're done you know you don't just go like oh yeah that was great but the ones that make you think for a while yeah. you got to just take a little bit and ingest it peruse it for a little bit in your mind and think what do I think about this? Cause I enjoyed it. Uh, but this and this made me think, and, uh, let me, let me consider my, uh, what do I, how do I feel about this prospect that came up in the novel? And I find those to be fascinating and they, they stick with you longer. The stories like that. Yeah. And I, I'm, you know, you've seen the reviews that the book has on Amazon and it's, um, four point, uh, 4.6, I think, right now um, on that, or 4.5 um, out of five, which is great. Mm -hmm. But what really, what I really appreciate about those reviews is the the frequency of comments that are essentially a, the book is thought provoking. Um, I, I didn't set, you know, I've already told you this. I didn't set out to write a thought provoking book or a book that's even going to be seen by anybody. But the fact that it was ultimately published and is being seen by people and that's the response that I'm getting to it mm -hmm. is is very um uh well it's very humbling to begin with but it it's also very um I'm very pleased that people are getting something from it beyond just the entertainment value yeah what what's the uh the biggest challenge you found so far in writing a sequel to this um, the biggest challenge is finding the time to write it around all of the time it takes to market it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, uh, a, that's one of the things a lot of, uh, beginning authors, uh, myself included discovered is the book's going to be coming out soon in a few months. And if you're not already marketing it, then you're behind. 
and uh, same with the next book. And then one after that, you got to start marketing well ahead. And usually it's, you know, in our minds, we think, uh, and I think the readers feel this way too. It's like, well, the book's coming out. Now it's time to market it. Like, no, no, you got to get word out ahead of time. Yeah, that is so true. And uh, in my case, the, um, the, the book was scheduled to be published uh, August 1st. And uh, it, it was published August 1st, but, it, but Amazon, for some reason that I've never been able to figure out, let the eBooks go out earlier. Oh. <laughs> and, and I wasn't, you know, I mean, I just, I just got the news from the publisher that for some reason that this had happened. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was working on a schedule where August 1st was the D-Day or the, the P-Day, if you want, for publishing. But um, all of a sudden, I had a couple of weeks that I had to really hustle and do all of the things I was going to be doing in the last part of July and do them yesterday. Yeah. Uh, and that threw me off for a bit. It, it really got me working hard. But, you know, so be it. Uh, it, it, it happened and it was out of my hands to control it, but it was my, my responsibility to react to it. <laughs> oh my goodness. The author life. It's, it's so much fun. Isn't, isn't it? it fun? Isn't it? Isn't it wonderful? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All the challenges that we have no idea as a reader of uh, what the author is facing, but, uh, it, it's still a fun life. <laughs> yeah, it is. And it, you know, in my, my, um, uh, respect for some of the authors that I um, really enjoy has gone up tremendously because it is extremely difficult uh, to reach that top tier. And not that I'm trying to, but um, if I was going to, to try to, I mean, I don't think I could get there. Um, the skills that they have, um, the ability and the uh, doggedness to get a book that is top tier level out to um, you know to the world basically it takes so much uh, so much time so much effort. Um, my my personal uh, favorites uh, are David Mitchell, who wrote among other things um, the Bone Clocks. Uh, which I think is just a, a marvel. His writing is off the, off the scale. Mm. Um, Ian Pears, uh, who they both, they both happen to be British. I guess I'm supposed to be British and I'm not. <laughs> but uh, he wrote, uh, the first book I read of his was called An Instance of the Finger Post. And I still don't know what that title refers to having read the book, but the book <laughs> is phenomenal. Uh -huh. And what really floored me about his book was that he's taking a, um, a mystery that occurs, uh, I think it's in like the 1600s or 1700s in England, and uh, he's divided it into four sections. Each section has its own point of view narrator. And as you're reading this, you're seeing entirely different perspectives from each of the four narrators but it's all of the same event. And he's also tying in the political um, situation of that time. And it's just absolutely fascinating uh, to read that and to be able to write that. 
you know, it's, it's, it's supernatural almost, I think, uh, it just, just a tremendous piece of work. And, and the other books that he's written are also excellent. And he has a habit also of not staying with one genre. So from one book to the next, he might be doing something entirely different. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's fantastic. And, yeah. and it, it sounds like it's, uh, you know, that again, it helps inform your writing and, and uh, inspires you. And that's, that's great that you've got so many things inspiring you along the way. Yeah, it is. You know, you read books differently now that now that you've written them. Um, you're not just doing it for entertainment, but you're doing it to learn. And uh, I just <laughs> just uh, last night finished um, a book that I had overlooked. Um, uh, Ursula Le Guin's uh, The Lathe of Heaven. And uh, that came out in, I think, the early 70s. And it's marvelous. Just her, her writing is so it flows. And uh, she has this ability to always have exactly the right word in the right place at the right moment, um, and, which is just a gift. Uh, I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just finished. Um, I, I, I read a very wide variety of books and uh, had the Maltese Falcon a few weeks ago. And then right. I, just over the weekend, I finished The Shining for the oh, first great. time. And uh-huh. I'm blown away by how rich it was uh especially you know you compare it to the movie and how vastly different it is but the different motifs and how they kept coming back and it's just yeah all little things little details that uh, would touch off something in the future or be a callback and like oh my gosh this is uh, yeah the things that you pick up on as an author reading something later on it's just yep i've got work to do (laughs) yeah exactly exactly if you want to if you want to uh, outdo stephen king good good luck but <laughs> at least at least at least he sets the he sets the standard that you can try to reach you know there you go yeah. um, and uh Le Guin or mitchell or pairs do the same thing uh you know you you see you see such incredible talent in these in these people uh haruki murakami is another one uh, you know, you get the whole Japanese side of things uh, with him. That's an entirely different culture, uh, but you still can relate to it, and it's it's wonderful. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, Jeff, where can people find and follow you? Uh, people can find me, uh, at, of course, at my website, uh, which is um, creatively entitled jeffpollock.com. <laughs> Uh, there is no C in Pollock. Uh, it's P-O-L-L-A-K. If you put the C in there, you're not going to get there. Uh, I'm on Facebook. Uh, Facebook, uh, uh, Jeff, Jeff Pollock author, you'll find me. Uh, Instagram, J.S. Pollock. Um, I do have Twitter, but I really don't pay much attention to it. Uh, and of course, I'm, I'm there on Amazon. I'm there on Goodreads also. And uh, if you happen to have any British listeners, uh, they can also find me on Readsy and of course, BookBub. All right. And uh, of course, everyone listening, you know, I'm going to have those links in the show notes. So when you're done listening to this, click that link in there and get on over to Jeff's website and the social media links and Goodreads follow him everywhere there is and of course uh like his amazon page so that you know when uh when book two comes out from the first second coming 
Jeff, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show today. This has been a lot of fun for me. Well, it's been great for me too. You're you're a very talented uh, interviewer. Uh, <laughs> I'm getting I'm getting a big kick out of uh, out of your questions and hopefully answering them decently. Oh well, that was that was wonderful of you to say. And the checks in the mail, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> all, right, all right, all right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for me to step aside with my coffee and a little snack, and uh, time to enjoy our guest today, Jeff Pollock, with First Second Coming. Thank you very much, um, Jason. Just to uh, set the stage on this, uh, I'm going to read Chapter Five, uh, which is called "The World Ain't Slowing Down." All of my chapters, by the way, are song titles. Um, so uh, you can check this one out if you're not familiar with it. I like it, or I wouldn't have put it in the book. Um, but the uh, what has happened before chapter five, basically, is the new God has shown up on the Ram Forrester Hour and completely destroyed what they were planning on doing in their premiere show. And uh, the interview has taken place. He has left. And the general manager of KJCR TV has blown his top and has um, summoned Ram Forrester and Brenda Lee Santa Maria, who are the two main characters in the book, to his private office to be basically talked down to. So here's where, where we go. It's Thursday, November 11th, 2027 at KJCR-TV, and the time is 10.15 p.m. A steady stream of invectives wafts down the hallway, paired with the distinctive reek of a lit cubana. Both to intensify once, I'm inside the bunker, our staff's nickname for Ken's top floor corner office. By the way, the, the Ken is Ken Wise, and he's the general manager. A landline phone is cradled in Ken's shoulder holder because he refuses to go cellular. The pen in his right hand drums a 5-4 jazz beat at the only uncovered spot on his oversized teak desk. The fingers of his left hand run laps through the few remaining wisps of his hair. The station went digital decades ago, except in this room. Paper files Ken had no room for in his three filing cabinets are stacked everywhere. The room hasn't been cleaned or fumigated once this decade either. Ken won't grant entry to the cleaning crew. Despite the no indoor smoking law, Ken's cigar burns in a large Viridian glass ashtray. He only lights up when stressed, in other words, at least once an hour. Every few minutes, he'll puff without inhaling the tobacco fumes. He claims that cigar smoke delivers a calming benefit and restores his Zen balance. I've worked with Ken for 15 years and I've yet to see him calm or balanced. He can't even spell Zen. By shifting a stack of files from a chair to a floor, I disturb a fat cockroach that skitters away frantic. With no other multi-legged critters in sight, I sit down. I understand, Ken says into the phone. Captain, we've got nasty grams up the butt here. An evangelical megachurch plans to demonstrate outside our building tomorrow morning. Another protest, sponsored by an ultra-conservative political fringe group, will start at 4 p.m. You can't give me police coverage, huh? You're serious? Here's one from, Ken notices me, makes a hand-across-neck gesture and sends a mouthful of smoke my way. I know the interview is why LAPD's busy, he says into the phone while leveling his Vulcan-raised eyebrow stare at me. I've got a death threat for you to investigate, Captain. The law's unchanged since yesterday, yeah? 
murder threats or criminal acts, correct? LA's finest hasn't given up crime fighting because some idiot with a god complex got free airtime, right? Brendeley walks in, takes the chair next to mine, and whispers in my ear, Does it always smell like this in here? I clear a stack of critterless files from the chair for her. Ken heard. His facial reaction, which lasts only a fleeting moment, reminds me of Hannibal Lecter's leer in The Silence of the Lambs. With his elbows planted on the desk and his most sarcastic voice at full force, Ken returns to his phone call. Fine. I appreciate you sparing us one stinking patrol officer for a crime report. When will he arrive? Okay, we'll wait. Ken disconnects with the flourish of a conductor leading an orchestra to the coda's end. We get a long, incredulous stare as he hunches his shoulders and clasps his hands. Half the pen pokes through his interlocked fingers like a dart pointed at me. He's practically seething. Have you ever done anything this boneheaded ram? I don't think so. This beats them all. He smacks the desk to punctuate his opinion. Why does he think I did this? Ken, you're the one who set him on stage, remember? I did nothing of the sort. I don't have enough to do to keep this place humming. Now I've got to deal with all this nonsense. Look, he swats his computer screen to swivel it in our direction. We reject the words of the impister we've seen with the Ram Forster program. This Lord's Bible is supreme word of God. All these involved in this charade will burn in hell. We personally will make sure Foster and his Mexican chica go there soon, the National Institute for Teaching Western Inspirational Theology. Ever hear of this outfit? No, I said. This is bogus, though, I can tell. First, no self-respecting terror group would call itself nitwit. Second, in addition to the purposeful misspellings and grammatical errors, this is a prank, for sure. Brendeley waves at either the screen or the cigar smoke. I agree. In Mexico, terrorists deliver their messages with piles of fresh dead bodies. I've seen enough massacre sites to know. These are amateurs. We take every threat seriously, Ken says. Ram, if you think this charlatan will provide a supernatural protection, you're in dreamland, let me tell you. He takes a puff, inhales by mistake, and coughs, his eyes watering. I'm forwarding this to Captain Lewison. His voice is raspy. He spends a furious 10 seconds typing before hitting the send key with gusto. This patrol officer will show up before dawn. The captain didn't say which dawn. The LAPD's gone on active alert status citywide. Ram, Captain Lewis, had asked me to thank you for the mobilization practice. We reconvene in the main conference room an hour later with LAPD officer Kobe Mitchell. He sits stock still, shows no reaction, and takes no notes as we fill him in. He hands Ken his card in exchange for a copy of the nitwit email. If you receive more threats, call us, he says, standing to leave. I watch God's interview on my in-dash computer and miss slamming into the palm tree by inches. My wife and I, we're Southern Baptist. We can't wait until Sunday to hear what our pastor's take on this is. Once Officer Mitchell leaves, Ken puts a hand on my shoulder our bean counters won't approve private security. You want that? Pay for it. The rest, he says under his breath. Pretty irresponsible, bringing in that phony. You already heard me say, Ken, isn't this a huge bonus for the station? Brendeley gives me a quick apologetic glance for interrupting. We're on worldwide television every weekday. You can sell a lot of advertising, make a lot of money, no? No. Ken's eyes bore into hers. I won't sell a boatload of time for a non-existent event. That's called fraud, young lady. I retire when I want to, not because I'm disgraced or arrested. 
Are you always this naive or is faith impairing your judgment? Bren's upper body jolts back in her seat. Her wide eyes register surprise while her mouth opens. Insults are uncalled for, boss, I say, putting my arm around Brendley's shoulder. Give Ken a pass, Brendley. Diplomacy's not a strong point. Ken's eyes narrow and his head shifts slightly as he takes in our posture. Where my arm is, Brendley's hand covering mine. Are you two a couple? No, we're not. I glance at Brendley's expressionless face. I'm protective of her, that's all. I hired her, we're a team, and I intend to keep it that way. She gives me a furtive smile. Ken shakes his hand and leans back in his chair. Ram, you're anchoring our special news edition tomorrow to cover the supposed earthquake. Brendley, expect a call. I may need you as a reporter. The show will start at 2 p.m. If the ground shakes, the tower falls, you two are golden. If the Richter scale stays at zero with no rubble on the ground, upper management will cancel this show and can you too. I'll make damn sure to carry that order out pronto. Sounds like things are getting serious there. Hey, that was Jeff Pollock reading a sample chapter from his debut novel, First Second Coming. The book is available right now, so click that link in the show notes for Jeff's Amazon page where you can pick that up. You can also find links in there for his website, Goodreads, uh, everywhere else to find Jeff. And don't forget about that uh, newsletter on his website, Secret Code Word is Book Birthday. So sign up right now before August 1st. Don't forget to also check out our podcast friends, our sponsor, and our partner with Audible. And hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out next week when I'm back with a new author, a new book, and an all-new sample chapter. Take care, everyone. Have a good week, and we'll talk again real, real soon. This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.